Hello and welcome to another Not Chilly podcast. Today we're watching the film Dunkirk and with me I have Josh Lundberg. Now this is a particularly long podcast, which is completely fine because I love what we get into and I love how it all kind of spills around. We kind of dive into a little bit of technical aspects of uh, Blu-ray 4K HDR. Josh has a bit, bit to say about that. And, um, and then we go straight into character and how it all, you know, ties in together. And it was just, it was just a blast doing this one. Um, but it is a longer one. So, you know, make sure you bring some extra popcorn. Anyway, sit back and enjoy. And thank you very much for being a part of this. If I, I can sometimes, if I don't think about it, I can sometimes let it go. Yeah. So someone will be eating. And I'll be like, okay, no, no, that's right. Don't like, don't think about it. And I can kind of like zone myself out of it. But when someone makes that joke up and goes, oh, no, 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 then my brain goes straight to the the fucking source of the sound, and then I can't. Always sunny that I really want you to watch now. Yeah, <laughs> it's like this person who's like watching comedy, eating popcorn, and they're being like, it's like the most. And and the, this the, the frustrating thing about it is that I know it's. I know I'm being wrong about this. I know I'm like, I know I'm You're on being... the wrong side of history. The world likes potato chips and enjoys eating them. And seems to really enjoy the sound of them. It's deeply satisfying. I, I would actually, I wouldn't be surprised if the, the, the sound of eating a chip is a huge part of why they're so addictive. Oh no, that's uh, when I was listening to the podcast. There is an element to that. Yeah, like there is something about the 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 sound that's satisfying. Even like remember, uh, was it Smiths they had that whole ad campaign at the end of it? It'd be like, you know, yeah. like that was their their tagline noise. You know, it's there is a huge element to it. The same thing with Doritos and you know this, but the same thing with Doritos and um, the powdery stuff getting on your fingers. They can make a chip that just tastes good, but they don't. They want it to be on your fingers because that's what people like. Yeah, the excessive use of the flavoring that's a little over. I find it more difficult to eat those now because when I have that on my fingers now, instead of going "ooh deliciousness," my brain goes, "I don't know what those chemicals are." <laughs> Yeah. What are Doritos? Yeah. I know there's a corn chip in there somewhere. <laughs> it's like long ago. That that makes me think of chicken nuggets. It's like Oh yeah. Kent <laughs> and I were like, oh man, I wonder how many chicken nuggets you need, you need to eat to have to make an entire chicken. We figured out the math and it's about I think it was two hundred and fifty chicken nuggets. <laughs> but the funny thing is the first thing you do, you look at a McDonald's chicken nugget and you realize it's like forty percent chicken or some shit. Yeah. And the rest is like I mean, I'm assuming the rest is more the batter and shit. But it's like their apple pie. Their apple pie uses that. I can't remember what it's called, but there's a vegetable that has essentially no flavor and takes on the flavor of anything that it's near. And then you inject it. So um, most of the chunks in the apple pie for at McDonald's, uh, as far as I know, unless I've changed it, um, is this vegetable um, that tastes like the apple and cinnamon that's in the rest of the apple pie. Yeah, right. That's so interesting. Because Apple is expensive. Um, and, and You don't think that, right? You don't think that apples are that expensive. Oh, fruit is expensive. So on that scale, fruit is hugely expensive. Mm. Same with juice. That's why juice is, like good juice, is expensive it's because it's from the first press. Yeah. So it's the same kind of thing. Anyway. And what that has to do with... Well, I mean, it does have something to do with Dunkirk because those guys had to struggle... With food. Things. And there's that scene where they crack open what I assume is a can of peaches. 
and like suck the like drink the juices out and pass it along. So that was interesting. Um, but yes, well, I guess we're here to talk about Dunkirk. Yeah, which you know was I I feel like you can't help but want me to watch anxiety driven films. <laughs> You're like, hey, what would be fun? Like, let's watch something that like rips into your like pure coincidence. This sure. this one was because like Christopher Nolan himself was apparently involved in the, um, in the, all of the film transfers of uh, the films that he's had moved over to 4K. Um, so I was just like, oh god, it's got to probably look really good. So like, if you watch, um, I don't know. If you watch The Matrix mm. on UHD Blu-ray, uh, what they're doing is basically taking the 2K uh, video mm. and, like, imagine I take a 2K video, I put it in handbrake, and I just tell it to change the, the dimensions to, <laughs> to, to UHD dimensions. That's basically what they're doing. So, uh, whereas a select number of productions actually go back... Uh, and rescan them. So Christopher Nolan has re. I th- I think Memento weirdly is like the only one that he hasn't done. So all of the Dark Knights have been taken back, rescanned at 4K mm-hmm. uh, resolution. Dunkirk, uh, Inception, uh, The Prestige. Um, uh, what's it called? Interstellar. Mm. Yeah. So they've all been rescanned. Um, what about? Oh, I was and the color rebounds for HDR Jeez. as well. So, and that's like a really, um, I was, I was reading like an interview with him. Um, and you know, I'm no Christopher Nolan fanboy. I think he's like, there's so much that he does. That's amazing. But at the same time, like I find him quite annoying on the whole film versus digital debate. Oh yeah. He's pretentious. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so, I, but I still like that he has that element of pride in him that goes, uh, excuse me, Warner Brothers, I know that you're releasing all of my stuff in 4K, but not without me being involved. Thank you very much. Yeah, Whereas, yeah. you know, whatever for most other directors or, you know, he's very powerful, I imagine. So, you know, other directors might not even have the opportunity, but there's a huge difference. Like, it's it's really interesting to see... Um, to see that difference. So that was why Dunkirk was that. Cause yeah, I, I wanted to watch it and you'd mentioned it and, um, yeah. So I just held off. I love so that. I wasn't trying to make you anxious. <laughs> sure. I love that. Christopher Nolan You're like a lot of people when want want to watch a movie or something, they're like, Oh look, bigger, brighter colors. Yay. You know, but you're like, yeah, but like the way that Nolan converts his, <laughs> his videos are actually like better than other people's. It is. <laughs> no, you're right. Uh, like particularly in those 70 mil sequences. I mean, my God, that looked amazing. Yeah, that was that stunning. Is, that is for this TV. That is pixel for pixel resolution. You know, there's no upscaling. There's nothing like that happening. That is, there is a pixel for every pixel that's on the TV. And on top of that, they've beautifully used high dynamic range to bring up um, a lot of, of the shadows and things like that and just give you this level of detail that this didn't exist. Um, but haven't gone like, look at this with it, yeah. you know, it's, it's really, I, that's why he's an interesting filmmaker, I think. Um, and when I watched, um, the rescan of Batman Begins, uh, which is a film I'm quite familiar with visually, uh, and watching that like rescanned at 4k, it's like just amazing. Night and day, would you say? <laughs> 
it really, really made me want to get Dark Knight on blue on on four K because like the seventy mil sequences of that must be incredible. Do you know I think it would be funny if suddenly like they ran it through, you know, whatever the process is, and made it HDR and all that other bullets that you know about. And then suddenly, like, the shots where, like, Batman appears out of the shadows, he's like, you see him. <laughs> he's standing there the whole time. <laughs> Obviously, he wouldn't be dumb enough to do that. But my, part of my brain, yeah. that would be fucking hilarious if now all the secret is, uh, like, you even see, like, a guy rolling, like, behind there. Like, with, with yeah, because that's, we churn freaking film cameras. And the, and rolling the shot from a different angle. It's like, you won't see him because it's in the darkness. <laughs> it's like, no, it's there. He's there now. But it, but I mean, for the Batman begin for Batman Begins, which is you know like thirteen years old, that's that's an interesting one because that wasn't shot a year and a half ago like Dunkirk, and that wasn't IMAX, um, I assume. Uh, no, I don't think they had any. Yeah, I think that was all thirty five. And and the um, but the thing that's interesting about it is like them being able to pull anything else out of that film, um, because film overall compared to when you intentionally shoot HDR with a digital camera, it has vastly more dynamic range than mm. film ever can. And uh, so to see something that was standard, you know, dynamic range, um, be put through that process of just getting the maximum amount of film, it was quite interesting. But w at first I was sort of like, oh, okay, that looks okay. Because I'm so used to the blacks being crushed in mm -hmm. Batman Begins. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's um, an appropriate movie for it. It is, yeah. The thing that I like is that with the HDR stuff, like, that's put into your hands. You can, you can, you know, custom create a mode on your TV that says, hey, I'm watching Dark Knight, so I'm going to crush the blacks for this one. You know, whereas uh, you can have it set to another mode and all that kind of stuff. So you have options now, whereas before it was just you know, limited by the television and limited by the bandwidth of, you know, information you can get off of, uh, get onto the discs and all that kind of stuff. I wonder so, if that's like a thing now where like a director will be like, like in the same way that when I record sound, part of the process is going, okay, where's this going to end? If this is going to end online, then the, if totally. someone's earbuds, yeah. crappy earbuds are going to be what people listen to or laptop speakers. And I get a lot more, well, like the quality is a drop, but I also get a bit more pull when it comes to ambient noise. So I wonder if like people like Nolan would be like, ah, oh, I wish everyone bought a Samsung model 762441, which has like the perfect... He wishes everyone bought a projector. I think yeah. that's... The... Oh, yeah, yeah, film projector. That's right. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think... No, no, he loves digital projection as far as I'm aware, because digital projection gives you a standard. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So he likes shooting on film. But um, yeah, no, uh, projection, uh, film projection could be like at the same cinema, you could be showing the same film and it would mm. look different in each of the Yeah, because everything cinemas. degrades differently. And yeah, but, and how calibrated it is per thing. Oh, I see how it is. Um, do I sound warmer now? A little bit. Um, yeah, that's the money. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, so I think I think there's all that kind of stuff is really cool. But of course you do. So, I mean, which is what make, no, no, but like, like that's interesting on itself because it's not just we didn't just watch Dunkirk. We watched Dunkirk on a HDR TV, which is optimized with a, a DVD or Blu-ray that's optimized for HDR. That's 4K. That's you know that's not an, a a part of the conversation that shouldn't happen. Yeah, it's I the thing that I love about these 
ideas of you know people going through and rescanning and remastering and things like that. I watched um, a Beatles film, um, A Hard Day's Night. It's really silly, but it's, it's so much funnier than I remembered it being. Um, funnier? I never. Oh, it's a comedy. It's a comedy. Oh. Um, starring the Beatles in like the height of their sort of uh, the hysteria part of their career. Oh, cool. And um, it had been remastered. Uh, because I was sitting there watching it and I was like, this is, this has to have been remastered. And I hadn't looked at the box yet. And then like, cause it was just stunning. Mm-hmm. Looked at the box afterwards and I was like, yeah, mom, it's, yeah, it's been gone through a remaster. Master, it looks really good. And she was like, I remember that it looking like that. And I was like, I can guarantee you, you've never seen this film looking like, that, like yeah. that like the worst you have ever seen it was at the cinema in the 60s yeah, yeah um like it's just it's amazing what i've done to it and when you watch um so the, even the jaws 1080p blu-ray that's from a 4k rescan um and then they down sampled it to um 1080 and it's like clear as day um whereas if you watch the dvd it ha- it isn't a rescan it's just whatever the digital thing that they had before mm. and uh you can see like dirt and shit like just all the crap that is associated with film uh is all there and on the 4k you're just sort of like god it looks like they shot this last year it's yeah sorry not the 4k the blu-ray which well which is from the 4k master Mm. um it's amazing how they can do that stuff with with films but yeah when it comes to the 4k blu-rays with hdr uh, a lot of that is bullshit. Um, I think the only film that is from beginning to end actually 100% those things is uh, Star Wars Episode Eight. It's the only one. Because um, even if you're making a film and you're like shooting it at 5K or 6K or whatever, mm. um, if it has visual effects, they're almost certainly rendering those at 2K um, because you're basically looking at the difference between, you know, X number of million pixels versus X number of million pixels and so on. Um, so, yeah, I think 4K is like 8 million pixels in that kind of area and 8K is like 13 million and something pixels. And so it's this it's this thing of there's a real cost element at some point in the pipeline and that's usually visual effects mm. um, when it comes to resolution. Mm. Uh, and the thing that's really, really interesting is, yeah, for Star Wars, they did all the VFX in, uh, in, in actual 4k, uh, so that they could deliver it at 4k, which is kind of a shame because I, uh, Force Awakens isn't, that was a 2k rendering as far as I'm aware. Um, cause that was shot on, uh, film. I'd have to double check cause, uh. They, I think they, I think they did actually also do episode eight on film. I think, um, uh, Rogue One. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Rogue One was um. It looked like reds the, and stuff. Oh, right, like that. that looked different. I was gonna yeah, say. Yeah, it, it was di- digital. So what? What does it like? Not not special effects wise, but in a, like a Nolan film, which he uses a lot of practical effects. What to you? Ignoring what technically it does. What does it do to you as like, what, how do you feel about the difference in like HDR and the 4K compared to watching that on like a 1080p without any of those fancy features? How do, how do you feel different watching it? One of the things I really like about it is that, um, so particularly with Nolan stuff, right? So they're shooting on film. It's much harder to pull focus and all that kind of stuff. I like that the film is 
very evident. Like at, um, I didn't notice it at the cinema, by the way, the vibration uh, in the cockpits. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice it. Uh, so in at this, at that resolution, right in front of us, you know, I was just sitting there going, oh my God, I didn't, didn't realize before that like all the shots of Tom Hardy were like, Going like, um, and I love all that stuff. Like the fact that the craft is felt in it was, um, something that I really, really like about it. But overall, and that's, that's, so I hadn't seen Dunkirk presented that way previously. Um, before that, the best thing I'd seen was, uh, yeah, I rebought, um, planet earth 2 uh 4k hdr because i'm pretty sure that was the first thing um of any type of production so not film but like of any type of production that was like okay we're shooting it with 4k cameras in hdr and blah 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 Mm. and um but when they have situations where i have to use a different camera it's quite funny because you can like just totally tell very Um, not very but it is uh yeah no yeah i shouldn't yeah it's uh it makes you go, oh my God, the quality of the other stuff is so high. Mm. And so I think that's what is really amazing with Doug Kirk is is that all that 70 mil stuff, the way that it scans in at 4K is unbelievable. Like there's just so much detail in those shots. But then like as a, from the filmmaking point of view though, the flip side is like the amount of pressure to make, like you can't have anything in those shots that, betrays the film then you know you can't have like something in the background that it's sort of really obvious at that resolution whereas before like you could have shit in the background and people would never notice it because you wouldn't see it on the projector and blah 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 blah, and all these things it's like now it's like the amount of scrutiny that you can put into it um into these images is really high so it like amps up that pressure to to do things like perfectly so it still sounds like for you, it's still a a technical impressiveness that that you get from something that's 4K HDR that's done by Nolan. Um, or is there actually something that, like, if you break all that down, you, like, I feel more, it's more visceral. It makes me feel like I'm more there. Like, is there any kind of emotional yeah, aspect? Like, the, the way that they did the 70 mil shots of... Um, I think it's called the moonshine or the moonside. Yeah, or that's something. that boat. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah, um, of that boat. The way that they do all the seventy mil shots of that boat, like all the blues and the purples and the greys and the bits of yellow contrasted against the white and the browns of the boat. Um, the sharpness of it and the clarity of that image to me, yeah, it totally makes me feel like I'm uh, on that water with them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not wank to me. That's not nonsense. That's just, that is really immersive. To me, the, it's really hard to, the, the, the really annoying aspect of HDR is that you can't take a photo of it and say that's because then the person, ha- the camera you're taking the photo with has to have HDR and the, whatever the person's looking at it on has to have HDR. Mm. So like, you have to see it. And once you've seen it, you sort of go, "Oh, I get it now." Mm. Um, and yeah, it it the th- I I admire it for the incredible technical prowess of it. But what it then does is takes away things that do detract. So, for example, um, 
one of the worst offending things is banding, right? Which is uh, when, say, you've got, like, a shot of the sky, but there's, like, 50 different blues in the sky. Mm. So on a standard uh, standard dynamic range panel, it'll step. Mm -hmm. So it'll, like, there'll be, at some point, a hard changeover in the gradient. Right, yeah, yeah. In a high dynamic range image, that doesn't happen, or it is, at the very least, if... It doesn't happen if done properly, and if it hasn't been done particularly well, it'll still be hugely reduced to where basically the panel can show all the subtle colors in between. And so when you watch something like Planet Earth, where you have all this nature mm. and so many big blue skies and all that kind of stuff, and none of that is there, if you sit near that, like, you don't even need to actually... When you watch that, it's like, it feels like there's a snow leopard in the room. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like there's some kind of looking glass between you and the subject. And I think that Nolan with Dunkirk does that really, really well. Um, Do you think that um, if you took that away from it, it would lessen the, like, greatly lessen the, the experience of that movie, of Dunkirk? N- no, it's enhanced as opposed to like you can't feel it without those things. Yep. So, um, and by the way, I'm aware that I had a juxtaposition there where like, uh, oh, you know, you can see the flaws in it and all the filmmaking in it. I love that about the resolution and all that kind of stuff. And then I've said, but it gets rid of the filmmaking. And but I know that there's like a like a clashing of those two things, yeah. but that's like an audience member. On the one side, and so yeah, and someone who's like interested in these things on the other side. So I didn't mean to like say those as like uh, conflicting things, but um, no, like this this film is such a dramatic sound design and music design Mm. piece, um, and it relies so much on those things. The reason I admire the film is because of the extraordinary restraint of it. He can get any budget he wants mm. effectively, really. Like, and to decide, you know what? I'm only going to use real planes. You know what? I'm only going to use real boats. I think my interpretation of what he's done with this film in that regard is that he's gone, what is at the core of this story? And it's the fact that everyone was in limbo. Mm -hmm. It's waiting. Yeah. And you don't know, you're waiting for one of two things. And the people there at the time knew that those two things were death or rescue. Mm -hmm. One of them. Yeah. How do you put an audience into that point of view? And so he boils it down to just that. He doesn't try to do anything else with the film. He doesn't mm-hmm. go, all right, now, like, we're going to show how bloody it was and we're going to yeah. show this and we're going to... There's not a drop of blood in that in, in, in that. There in is. That film. I, like, I do have that thought, but there is. And that's when the... Uh, by the way, spoilers. Oh, the boy but gets, the boy in, gets in the head. But it's never, like, spurting so, blood or, like, you know, you could have had blood dripping on the floor. There was none of that. It was very... But, like, no one gets shot and it's, like, bleeding out and all Ooh. that kind of stuff. He, he sort of took everything that's great about today in terms of what you can do with filmmaking... And then he took everything that was really great about the old war films, like A Bridge Too Far and stuff like that. Um, like, I don't... 
when you go back and look, like, the longest day and stuff like that, they're just not... Um, they don't hold up. Yeah. I mean, the British side of it does, I think. Mm. Uh, but the American side of, like, John Wayne walking up and down Omaha Beach or whatever, being like, all right, guys, we're going to go and do... You're like, yeah... Not really, though. Yeah, we're like, saving Private Ryan. Yeah, <laughs> a lot yeah. more saving Private Ryan in that situation than John Wayne walking around with a pistol. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but like A Bridge Too Far, um, that's a really good example. But of- those are two actually good comparisons, actually, when now that I think of it, is like Saving Private Ryan, which you know, I think was a brilliant film, and Dunkirk. Different intentions, but still, in my opinion, two really, really good portrayals of war. I, I, yeah, I 100% agree. I think that there's there's this thing that I've thought about for a really long time, which is A Bridge Too Far is a great example in this, actually. So A Bridge Too Far is about um, the uh, attempted Allied uh, invasion of Holland, uh, Operation Market Garden, right? Which is the largest airborne invasion in history. And there were... Polish people involved, you know, the po- the the external Polish forces who mm-hmm. were, like, based in Britain. Um, they were involved, the French, the... the of course, the Germans. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the British, the Americans. Uh, but it was led by the... It was a British idea. Um, and so they were all charging in and going in. And that film tries to look at it from all of their perspectives. Mm-hmm. And so you get a really great idea of strategically what happened. You get a brilliant idea of what happened. You don't care so much for everyone that's involved. Contrast that against, for example, Band of Brothers, those soldiers did go in Operation Market Garden. Mm. I think it's I think it's one episode that focuses on it. It might be two, yeah. but I'm pretty sure it's one. But like the emotional involvement that you have with them in that and what it felt like to be there was visceral like it was you you what do you mean by visceral well that it was just like you really felt it and Mm -hmm. um you 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 could appreciate what it felt like to steamroll into a country just to very very quickly be overrun again um and you felt that whereas when you watch a bridge too far you intellectually understand that Right, right um you know when for example like that was old style filmmaking, you know, like the head of the Polish, you un- like, guys is fucking played by Gene Hackman. Yeah, right. you know, like you wouldn't do that now. You'd mm. ha- you'd find a Polish actor or someone from that region to mm. to do that. Uh, so that's the type of sort of film where it's like, yeah, let's just get and everyone's in it. Mm. Um, and so I think you have these things where you can. I don't think that you can do both. I think you can tell the emotional story of war or you can tell the, um, the horrors. The, and o- the well, no, no, no. To me, that, that, that to me is the emotional yep. story. Or you can tell the, um, overarching, uh, strategic global perspective of war. And so when you do that, you have to do, when you decide to do the emotional one, the first thing you have to do is go, okay, what are the historical things we're getting rid of? Because go watch a documentary if you want to figure that mm-hmm. shit out. And, um, you know, if, if, if Dunkirk was a bridge too far, we'd be cutting to Churchill, then we'd be cutting to Hitler, then we'd be cutting to France to see the German command, we'd be cutting to the tanks, we'd be cutting uh, all over the place, right? 
Whereas all Nolan was focused on was, I want everyone to understand the time pressure on this beach. Mm-hmm. I want everyone to understand the urgency and the terror. And not even just understand, but feel. Yes. Yeah, that. yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, I want you nothing. to feel that. Because that's my experience of this film. And I, this is twice I've watched this now. And both times you start just sitting there normally. And then by the end of the film, you're clutching at your chest. Yeah. Just not even consciously, subconsciously, you just realize you're doing it. And then like half an hour or an hour into the film, you're like, oh, I'm gripping myself. This is crazy. It's it's really amazing how it does that. Mm. And, and it's because they take that personal approach. Mm-hmm. Um, as we were just talking about before, it's like we don't really know any of the characters' names and no. stuff. Except for like George, the kid that gets hit. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course. Head. Yeah. But they say his name like 50 times. That's right. Otherwise, they um, barely even talk. The like, Yeah. I think- what we have basically six or so leads yeah. in this film, and I think three of them have a real dialogue. Yeah, like all the other ones might just might say a couple of words or might you know copy that Roger this, you know they're coming or something whatever the words are you know. But like it's really minimal. Very. Minimal. I mean the funny the funny irony of this film is Nolan is notorious in the sound world is he's notorious for being like I want to get it on the boom on location. And I'm like, as a recorder, so I'd be like, well, this would be difficult, but not a lot of work. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm just like, I, I can get this. This would be fine. We'll just, you know, wait for those moments. And so anyway, that's it, that's one of the thoughts that went through my head when I was watching this. I'm like, I would have loved to do this job. To be honest, like, Nolan, hire me, please, because that would be amazing. <laughs> but on another element of it, it's like, um, yeah, I was really thinking about the challenges as a recordist recording on a boat recording on the water and like just the, the torrents of footsteps IMAX and loud cameras. suits IMAX cameras in those moments <laughs> I mean those to be honest that's that they would probably if they're shooting IMAX they're probably got a boom over it but it's not they're not shooting dialogue yeah um so yeah a anyway. lot of that was shot 70 surprisingly more than you think but yeah also co- coincidentally a lot of that didn't have dialogue yeah so that's probably where that that middle ground was meant yeah I think it's um uh, yeah, I I really think it's interesting what he's done with this film when he's so heavily focused on the sp- the spirit and the feeling of this event and just gone, guys, the historical accuracy is, like, irrelevant to what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, the f- I think the first review review I read about was going about, this is how many destroyers there really were, and this is yeah, how many yeah. planes there really were. And and I'm a World War II history buff. Like, I, I'm obsessed with it. And so I kind of felt... I didn't see it until late in the cinema run because I sort of needed those feelings to die down of, like, I don't want to go into this movie closed-minded and be like, that's not what, you know, yeah. this was, you know, blah, blah, blah. And when I went in and saw the film, I fell in love with it completely like by about halfway because i went the what you have managed to do with this film is give us a true sense of what it felt like and it no longer matters it no it 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 doesn't matter if the person walking into the cinema doesn't really understand Dunkirk or what happened there. Yeah. It's enough of an emotional experience that you will walk out and I'm sure tons of people went home and jumped on Wikipedia at least or YouTube or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, but just as a sensory experience and, and like an emotional experience, it's 
so intense and and it's all in my opinion because everything is boiled everything is boiled down to like how many lines does uh you know the father need to say how many lines does this guy really need to say it feels like there were lines throughout the whole you know the the script was full yep and then it's sort of like that's not necessary that's not necessary can do that with a look can do that with a look can do that with a shot just it was pure filmmaking is is what he's he's doing with the film and it's incredible to see like that what's so incredible about it as well is you get that sense of once they'd finished shooting you could have cut because of the the reliance on physical mm. um imagine how much of that film they could have actually assembled yeah um because it wasn't like, oh, and then this three minutes is missing because it's all green screen and this bit's missing here. Yeah, that's yeah all. right. It's a, it's amazing what they did and that they didn't try and go, oh, let's hide away these buildings because like they're not part of the period and stuff like that. Like no one's going to notice like mm. because that's not the point of the film. The point of the film is how do these people feel? And no one's looking at the buildings. They're all looking at the beach and the like and how many soldiers are there. Yeah. And- you know, it's really it's it's a an art of trickery in that film. Quite, yeah, quite I mean, lot. there very clearly wasn't four hundred thousand people on the beach, no. and again, like, surely the vast majority of directors would go make sure you CGI in four hundred thousand people. Mm. I know I would, mm-hmm. but he didn't because he was focused. Mm. That's why that film is so successful. Um, in my opinion, about mm. creating the feelings is because he hones in on us understanding who is feeling what and why they're feeling it. And the thing that's interesting is, as well, just his history, right? It's like there were Nazis and there were a lot of bad guys. And then he d- takes all these incredible shortcuts, beautiful shortcuts, not like cheating shortcuts, but, mm. you know, how do I explain the context? Okay, a few bits of text you know, from a traditional standpoint, that's, you know, all right, that's... It's cliche. Yeah, yeah, exposition, but whatever. But it's important Mm -hmm. because he then ties it in with the pamphlet that he picks up, the propaganda piece he's picked up. And there's a visual demonstration that says, here are the Nazis, here are us, that's the film you're watching. This is where the protagonists are on the beach. That's what's happening. And they're surrounded by the red, the red is Nazis. Go. It's fucking brilliant. And it doesn't... You know, it's not lying. It's it's so, so, so well done. And then the other aspect of this, you know, aside from the in- immense power of sound and music, is how he uses time mm-hmm. and how I love that from the start that um, the first time it comes up and it goes, you know, the beach, one week. When I was in the cinema, I was like, one week what? Mm-hmm. And then it comes up with the next one, uh, the sea, one day. Yeah. And you're like, okay. And then it comes up with the plane, it's like one hour. And you're like, oh, right. Okay. So, like, everything that I see at the beach is set across a week. Everything that I see on the boat is set across a day. And everything I see in the plane is set across an hour. Mm. And by the end of the film, all of those are the same timeline. Yeah. Uh, and he, the thing that is really brave about it is that is that concept of um, decreasing the time limit, the the time between repeating timeline. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that's hard. Like that's 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 really difficult 
to to do. Like, I would love to see the timeline that he very obviously would have visually had, like, up in his office or something. There would have been some massive, like, you know, 10-metre-long whiteboard thing or something. Mm. There would have been some visual representation of of it because, yeah, by the last act of the film, you're, you're sort of going... Um, we're seeing this, that, 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 that boat that we say get bombed, gets bombed like four times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same moment and it just keeps happening because it's from like four different perspectives. Yeah. And then you sort of go, oh my God, that was the sunk like fisherman's boat that's like, like drifted off to the shore and those guys are now swimming out and that's like, and all things linking up and like Cillian Murphy's uh, character or Cillian Murphy, I can never remember how to pronounce his name, but like, you know, the, the sailor that picked off of the, 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 back of the the stern of the sunk ship mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep 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 and like that we, we both said like the first time we saw that movie like it didn't even register with me that that was the um the confident I would, guy on the the, the confident like, guy boat, on the boat and the boat. and the reason that didn't i was overwhelmed by the sinking of that ship i think i was still in the emotional aftermath of that mm-hmm. situation that elevated the film for me even even further the fact that i'd missed that the first yeah, time which yeah. i feel stupid about but I like, shouldn't feel stupid about it. It's like, was it important that that moment was so in your face? They yeah. tried the best they could because they, they had that shot, the boat gets like rowed away and we cut to him in like more present time. Yeah. He's like messed up. So like, yeah, they try to bring you in, but does it matter if you noticed? No. No, it doesn't. I mean, it's great and it adds to it, but it's not it adds, integral. It adds quite a lot, I feel, to, oh, yeah. to his character. He is the only person that you don't really get a sense of who he really is. Uh, everyone else you do because they're tested and you see how they respond. Yeah, yeah. Whereas he gets tested. We see him post-tested. We yeah. don't see how Ex- he perseveres exactly. through, through that. It's like, uh, I know this is a really weird anal- like comparison to make, but it's like American Beauty where you have that the main, well, one of the main characters being, I can't remember his name, but the guy that's like quiet and the plastic bag film thing, you know, obviously the stereotype. When like he is the odd guy out, he's the kind of weird one, and then he has that moment in front of the TV where he's explaining what he thinks about that plastic bag and why that's so important to him, and and he breaks down, and you go, and suddenly this character who has been you know like uh, almost a zombie and a weirdo for this whole time starts to like come up with all this color, yeah, and in the same way that that shot. Like, we, we, we've been seeing a zombie of a man who, mind you, was a brilliant performance in Dunkirk with, I forgot the actor's name, but the, you know. Cillian like, Murphy. Cillian Murphy. Yeah, that guy. Um, and we and he does a, a beautiful performance of, like, holding it in, but we don't, when when we hear, oh, he's shell-shocked, it's like, yeah, that's just an excuse. And suddenly we see the, the man that was before the accident and you yeah. go, Different oh, person. The, yeah. And, and that great line of, he'll probably never be the same again. Yep. And it's like, that's... And I love how his son understands in that moment from a justice point of view, you know, from a from a pure logical point of view, you go, he's like, oh, how's the boy? Will he be all right? You go, no, he won't be fucking all right. Yeah, he's yeah. dead. You piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's so beautiful that his father, his his son has taken from his father the the idea that there's no point in making this person more destroyed yeah. than they are. It's just hurting the situation further. Destroying another person yeah. for no reason. 
because look how much destruction is happening around you. Mm. And and that's what is so great about this film is that it's not just like, here's this and the pilot and the this and the this and this. I really get a sense you do get to know ev- everyone in an emotional way. Mm. You don't know anything really about them as who they are as a person, uh, what their history are or is or any of those things. Mm-hmm. But it's irrelevant because you see them, as I was saying before, it's like, here's the person, what will they do? That's what they do. Mm-hmm. And you've, and through those actions, which is like, that is the most common fuck up in screenwriting is telling people information all the time. Mm. This film is a show, 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 show. Yeah. Like yeah. it's always showing you stuff. And that's the art of cinema. Well, let's go through it. Let's like, so one of my favorite moments, other than the one you just talked about when he, you know, says that like he lies to the, the bombshelled soldier about, you know, the boy and him being dead. Um, the, one of the other moments that I thought, like you described, is kind of like a way to describe the kind of arc of the character and the kind of personality character is Tom Hardy's character. When, you know, like we see it in little bits when he, like the fuel gauge gets busted and he's like, no, no, we'll be right. Let's keep going. You know, just give me the numbers. He's like kind of a logical kind of calculated person. But the moment for me, which was, which kind of told the rest of the film and in his character arc was when... He's chasing that that fighter. He's looking at his fuel gauge and he sees the bomber. And he's like, all right. In his rear view. Yeah. And he's like, all right. Okay. We're doing the bomb. Yeah. Like, we need to do this. I'm out of fuel. I'm out of time. This is it. And then you're like, oh my God. And that, he's obviously like, once again, spoilers. He survives that incident. He, like that for me, I thought he was going to take his own life at that point. But then he survives that incident and then he goes on to the beach still. Even though like, I mean, I guess that's probably the safest place to land. You know, because uh, he would have gone into the ocean, I guess. But um, but he goes on, let alone runs out of fuel at the beach, and then finds another opportunity to try to save the people there, t- risking his life yet again to land in an area which then you know ris- risks his life at the end of the yeah. thing. I think it's like like you described. That's one of that's one of my versions of a character arc that I really loved. And you can take on the next one because, you know, there's so many. I think that's a remarkable one. Mm. Uh, That, gosh, did people not shut up about how much they didn't like that he shot down the Stuka at the end of the film because he was gliding. How did he glide for that long and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, like... (laughs) Did it feel good? Was it amazing? (laughs) Like, was it a cool moment? Yes. (laughs) One, like... The thing that was funny, uh, do you know what was funny for me? Because someone had told me that. They're like, oh, is this bit of a thing? And I spoke to the master. I can't remember who it was, though. Anyway, it's irrelevant. The Afterwards, uh, I said to them, do you know what made the difference for me? They didn't show him turn around. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'd seen him do a maneuver that I went, come on. Mm-hmm. But they didn't show him turn around. They just show him, showed him come back the other way. Yeah. I can absolutely take that. Yeah. I don't know what he did. Mm-hmm. I don't know how high his altitude was. Yeah, I don't know if like, the, you know something kicked in or some shit. Or... The whole last part of that act is about, you know, hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Kenneth Branagh's character says, he's like, what is it? Hope. It's yeah. like, which is just such a contrived, cheesy line if you say it out of context. Yeah, if that was like, in the trailer, then fucking... I think it is in the trailer. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure yeah. it is in the trailer. But like, again, that trailer is structured... So well, uh, as we were saying yesterday, actually, when we went to see The Meg, um, yeah. we were watching all these trailers and it's like, for fuck's sakes, can you stop show- showing me the whole film? It's like the trailers for Dunkirk were just oh, I remember it. stunning. It's just a, like, yeah, 
And, and it just cuts from, like, moments to moments through it. Yeah. yeah it was really cool. And, and so, like, they give you enough of this pressure to then go, what is it? It's hope. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, th- I think that that being the real point of the last part of the film, along with that... Um, Character arc ending. That was the, the final well, for, for, for him, For him, yeah, it's yeah. important, but also on the, like, context... Uh, and really understanding the history side of it was that that is without question the single largest defeat in the history of the British Empire. And that is... I love this history element because you were telling me about it and what was really cool about the way you described it and they showed it off at the end of the film was what you were saying to me about that Hitler thought that would be the like a demoralizing defeat. Yeah. So you tell me more about that because I was actually like, I was like, oh, and you see it at the end of the film. Yeah, it's that it's that they thought that they thought that it would just be so easy now to just send in the Luftwaffe and just steamroll over Britain. Mm. But the only reason that England didn't lose or Britain didn't collapse was spirit. Mm-hmm. It sounds so fucking cheesy. But it's it is absolutely true. It was morale. It was the only thing, aside from the Americans like providing them with shitloads of resources. But they had the will to take those resources and turn them into planes and guns and artillery pieces and anti aircraft. It's like that. That is why it is one of the most extraordinary, you know, I say moments, but eighteen months in mm. human history. Like it's it can't be exaggerated the the importance of that period of history mm-hmm. uh, and that it changed the world what the world was up to that point and what the world was after was a different thing but it's this little island of people mm-hmm. uh you know wales scotland and england uh, uh just basically being okay so um i guess we'll fight the largest military ever put together mm-hmm. by ourselves then um and again, like like I said, that yes, absolutely, they were hugely supplied. The only reason they continued going was because the Americans were just pumping them with supplies. Yeah. Um, and the Americans lost a lot and sacrificed a lot in terms of like merchant navy and all that kind of stuff. But the point is the the British spirit. You know, mm-hmm. that's the keep calm, carry on thing that just became fucking just like annoying. <laughs> I didn't but, realize that was a war thing. Yeah, it's just like you know, keep calm and carry on, and um. The, 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 you know, the famous line from Winston Churchill, if you're going through hell, keep going. Um, and Winston Churchill, like once the Battle of Britain kicked in, would do things like go out to bombed out houses and streets and all this kind of stuff and talk to people face to face. Hitler never, ever met civilians in times of disaster, right? So it's this it's this incredible thing of just the culture of these people being the very thing that saved them. Mm. Um, in every single other way, they had no right to survive what happened next. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had no right to survive what happened at Dunkirk. But who? Um, I'm to, uh, but I'm not talking morally. Obviously, I'm talking about like, like intellectually or strategically strategically yeah. they had they had no there's just no reason why that could possibly come together but it's like oh i know let's just send over a whole bunch of civilians like oh you have a little boat off you go to france like 
across one of the most dangerous parts of water, you know, uh, in in the region. Mm. So choppy and can do all these things. The seas happen to be very, you know, relatively calm. Like all this luck sort of stuff fell in and you sort of have that sort of the British concept of destiny and mm. British like perspective on, on destiny. And, and I, and I think that there's all that sort of stuff plays into it, but the fact that the fact that you can go through that moment and decide you're going to continue, um, n- nobody else did that. Well, there's three beautiful moments in the film that remind me of uh, that display that, so obviously there's the mo there's and this is not in chronological order necessarily, but there's a moment when they um when they're the the main soldier that's kind of trying to flee, uh they're they're get, hopping onto the train, they get given the blankets and he's like, Well done, you know, like well I forgot if that was what he, the the guy was saying, who was either blind, like you were speculating that it might have been. Yeah, I think it's one. a I think it's a World War One veteran who got um hit by mustard gas that's yeah that's, that's just me a... making it up but i like i wouldn't be surprised knowing considering there was it was, was quite obvious like he touched the guy's face yeah he hands it and thing he never looks at but, someone and, in the and eye he says all we did was survive and he says that's enough uh, yeah that's right why, like why would you have that perspective if you and he was like 60 70 years old mm-hmm. so he's the right age like that kind of and stuff. then there's a the moment in the train like shortly after which is like oh like he reads the headline and sort of like churchill talks about dunkirk and he's like oh great we're going to be spat on I, I can't bear to read this and then they do read it and it's a like it's a kind of story about triumph yeah over adversity i mean still talks about a fa- military failure but it talks about triumph you have those two moments which are awesome and then you have that moment with the navy. I'm assuming general, the the guy that plays that the the, the guy who's also a director, um, who's oh Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, I think he's an admiral. But admiral, yeah. yeah, whatever it was, you know, where he was like, hold the line, hold the line, hold the line, and then he sees the boats, and he just you could just see him tears up. Yeah, like it was worth it. Resolution, <laughs> and it was like even that made me tear up because I was like, oh my god, like. You could sense the feel, the joy in him being like, "My people are coming." Like there were, it was all worth it. Where, where, yeah, know. that moment, that moment where he's asking people where they're from. And yeah, he's saying, yeah, and he says, "I can't remember where the guy says." He's like, "I can't remember the place that the guy on the small boat says." Mm. Um, and he obviously this guy, he goes to the the guy on the little boat. He's come this far. He obviously knows something about sailing, mm. and yet. Uh, Kenneth Branagh's character gives him some advice. He says, make sure that you watch the swell around this. Yeah. Going back home. It's like, it's his home. But it's not what he's saying. Well, there's actually know? a moment right before then which perfectly describes it. So the first lady's from, oh uh, my God. Yeah, I can't remember. Dublin, I think? No. No? No, no, no. Ah. I can't I think of it. But from. like, but, but where are you from? And she goes, I'm from blah, blah, blah. He's like, you know, great. Thank you. And then he goes, are you from... So let alone yeah, he doesn't he, knows he didn't it, just yeah. ask him he knew where he was yeah. from he knew where he was going so that's why it leads into that that camaraderie that exists and that kind of like that joy that he has it's like my people because he let alone it's not just someone from somewhere that's around that that place he's like you're from it where I unity. know yeah. yeah yeah it's so beautiful and, and and that's that thing it's like I say like he doesn't need to tell this person no he doesn't know and he would know that yeah but it's that it's it's him. Connecting. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's just him connecting to that man. Mm. And he feels at home. Yeah, yeah, that's right. 
And he probably has already made the decision that he's not going to... He's going to wait with the French. Yeah, that he's yeah. going to stay with the French. And Which is another really, like, cheesy but beautiful moment. You know, yeah, I don't actually, I don't know, uh, I'd have to, true. I'd have to read up what happened there, but a lot of, I mean, you know, a lot of British were left behind and they, uh, a huge range of different things happened. But, um, yeah, I think it was, I, I'm pretty sure it was just after this, actually, like one of the craziest moments of, uh, the first act of World War Two was, um, so, uh, yeah, it would have been after this. Uh, so soon after it, like when Vichy France and, and Nazi France were established, um, uh, the pro-fascist mm-hmm. French were going to take uh, a bit further north in, in France, the uh, French Navy. Mm. And the British knew that they could definitely hold out against the Germans but there was no way in hell that they could hold out against the Germans plus the British Navy. Well, it would be the French Navy. Ah, uh, yeah, sorry, yeah, plus yeah. the French Navy. So the British went up there with destroyers and killed like 3,000 French. Jesus. Sinking the French fleet. And st- I think they stole some of the ships as well, but they, definitely, they definitely sunk like the French fleet mm. um, in sheer desperation, directly ordered by Churchill. I don't think it was public knowledge for like 40, 50 years or something. Um, and so like just what ended up happening between the French and the, um, you mm. know, and, and the British. And then it's like, you know, Charles de Gaulle, who was just a fucking nobody, uh, like is, is in England and he's like in charge of the French, uh, you know, the French army, that doesn't mm. really exist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the French army that they're like building up in Britain to then go back, take their home back, which, you know, in terms of this film, you know, it doesn't happen for another four years. Um, but it's, yeah, I think, I think that there's, it's one of those things when you watch a film that's based on moments like this in history that you go, I know what happens to you. Mm. You know, like uh, uh, with Tom Hardy's character, he would have been put into a, Prisoner, prisoner of yeah. war camp yeah. and uh depending on the area that he was in if he was in germany they death marched them at the end of the war um mm-hmm. they just walked them until they died so um walked them either east or west depending on where they were uh, and just kept going with them uh just crazy like all yeah. stuff and that's if they didn't you know great escape and all that kind of stuff yeah yeah um just really there's all that sort of looming. The thing I love about, that's what I really love about the film, not giving a greater context to it or not going on and not doing this. And Mm. it doesn't go any further. It stops because it's, it's called Dunkirk. It's specifically about one thing. uh, And it's about the emotional feeling of it. Mm. And the fact that the British didn't respond to it by, by giving up. So we got the, so we kind of talked about the Admiral's, arc but to kind of summarize his arc which was really amazing as well is that i guess if i were to think of it it's um steadfast hope and strategy which which gets challenged when that ship gets sunk right at the thing and he has to make the 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 call about push it away what about the the injured on board push it away you know so that 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 hope gets challenged then but remains and then gets rewarded by his people coming to save him, mm. which then 
finishes his arc with I'm staying for the French because like strategically, ignoring like just the, the camaraderie that existed in that moment, he was a man of strategy. He was a man of uh, like the calls he made were accurate. He even has that moment where it's like, uh, you know, it's going to be three hours before the, the, the tide rises. It's like six. That's why I'm with the Navy and you're, yeah. you know, with the <laughs> Army. And, and that's like, that. that's kind of a testament. One of the few lines that the character even says um, it's such an important one because it's, uh, it is his character arc. He is a man of strategy. He's a man of the people. He's there for the people. And, and he kind of, that character arc resolves in that and doesn't actually, we don't know what happens at that point because we don't know how he involves himself with the French. But the job he had to do was done. That's right. Well, yeah. And he stayed. They did their best. Yeah. They, they did their best far beyond anything they could have imagined yeah, absolutely. was going to happen. And it was at 300,000 and then when he's like... Yeah, like you know, 330 or so. And then yeah. I'm going to do some more. Yeah. And, you know, that was the, the the British side. And then we have... Um, okay, so what we have next is the obviously the, the father with his son and the son's friend. And now that's a really amazing character arc because, I mean, I'll just start it off. The amazing moment right at the beginning when they're loading the boats up, the boats are being commandeered and you can see, like, even I was confused watching it the second time because I completely had forgotten until I really kind of clicked in my head that they didn't just want to give their boat up. They wanted to be the ones piloting the boat. Yeah. They were there for for their people and they were willing to sacrifice themselves for that. And that that first moment is is like we've been saying with all the other characters, is a personality trait that these three characters kind of hold together. Well, I think, like, it's interesting that they're all doing it for different reasons. Mm. Like, he's doing it for, um, as we find out later, his son died three weeks into the, the war. war. That's right. Um, you know, like nine months earlier or so. Mm -hmm. um, so his, to me, his, not necessarily the characters aware of this, but... Uh, he's saving his son. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I like it. All the young mm -hmm. boys over there, that's who they are to him. Mm -hmm. So he's saving his son. He's he going says that, I think. Not th that he's uh, saving his son, but he says that line which was oh, I forgot what it was. Something to the effect of like the guys like we you know, we can't go back. We're not we're not going to go back to Dunkirk. And he's like it's our boys out there, like old sons and mm -hmm. old things. Something to that effect that he Yeah, says. he's that's he has that he couldn't save his son. Mm -hmm. But he can save his country's sons. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's reading too much into it. I think mm -hmm. that I think that that is the psychological, like motivation, motivation. of yeah. that character. Um, his his son is to me an empathetic follower. He's yep. And then George makes it very clear, like empathetic I've, I've follower always... and an excited, not excited, but like a, a, a keen Advent learner. Adventure, yeah, yeah. He wants to, like he he's not just. He's there to learn. He's yeah. there to follow his dad and actually like be honourable and and he admires his dad as well. Obviously, yeah, it's quite yeah. yeah. And then George is he says later on like mm -hmm. I just wanted to you know I want to be in the paper. Yeah, I want to be in the paper. And and the thing is so interesting. Like he he sounds like he's a, a, quite a screw up. Like from yeah. what from what he describes, you know, it's like mm. my teachers. You know, it sounds like he sucked at school and he never yeah. did anything particular. His never parents did. didn't think he'd ever amount to yeah. anything. Yeah, and it's that thing of like. But he went to try and save people in Dunkirk. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and despite the fact that he dies through some a completely stupid accident mm -hmm. and a completely avoidable accident, it's like that doesn't that doesn't lessen 
it's so he's an interesting character because you don't know if it's naivety stupidity or like why is he going out there i say it's probably naivety and 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 you know being a young boy and you think you're invincible mm. and um and yet he comes away like labeled as someone who was courageous or brave mm-hmm. um and that's fair you know he had every intention of being there for for every moment of what was coming mm-hmm. um and that he was deprived of that. It's a, he's an interesting character. It's a really, that is a really interesting thing to put into the film to create choices that characters need to make. Mm-hmm. What are they going to do with a soldier? Uh, what are they going to tell him? Um, what, uh, are they going to turn around? Mm-hmm and go back to save him. It was a super honest portrayal of the characters that they established. Look at the the moment with the door locking. Yeah. The boy makes the call about locking the door, misinterpreting kind of what his father was saying, but he doesn't question, like he does a bit, but I guess he doesn't properly question unlocking the door and letting him go. And he learns from that. That's a, that's a lesson for him. That's, and that's like respect, admiration, once again, like naivety, but following the person that he admires, which is his father. Mm. His father is sticks to character the whole way through. He's honorable. He's trying to save people's lives, but he's understanding. He sees the war. He is like a, a, a beautiful consideration, which in that moment, once again, with the door, he just unlock the door, open, let him out, you know? And, and then we have our follower, you know, like, oh, not a follower, but our like naive, like hero said. I mean, he doesn't actually play a massive moment in that but he's obviously an onlooker and all this. Yeah, I think one of my favourite moments with the father character is that bit with the end with the RAF pilot because that was one of the things mm. was oh, that yeah. the yeah. army the army felt really betrayed by the by the, the RAF because... Yeah. Um, but, again, like, it's stuff that's all off screen and but gets mentioned by Kenneth Branagh's character. He's like, they're saving for the next battle. Yeah. They need him from the next... So right. exactly what they were doing. The more important battle... To be uh, absolutely you know, strategic, like, <laughs> whoa, that was it. I mean, they needed. They were sending planes out as they were being constructed. Like it was yeah. just, uh, it's unbelievable what they managed to achieve. Um, so you have that bit, and 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 he, the guy says, um, "Where were you?" Or like, "Where where were you?" Yeah, whatever the line is, and and keeps walking, and um, yeah, the father character says the RAF guy, like pointing at the soldiers who. Walking off his boat, who, who came off his boat, and says they know where you were. Yeah, like that's uh, makes me just so like teary, just like even thinking about that moment. Yeah. It's just so because you can't. It's save a gift. Them all. That's that's a gift. Yeah, to a person. Yeah, that's pulling someone um, out of the darkness of like yeah. what it is to realize. I mean, funny enough, we we're talking about that movie yesterday, The Meg. You know, and it's like, it's obviously the stupider version of it, but it's, there is an element to that. It's like, you got to sometimes not just see the failures, but you got to see the success. And yeah. You see the thing that you did that's going to help people. And he saved, what, 30 lives by, by taking down, you know, like a particular plane yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And that guy is not talking about you. He's talking yeah. about the RAF. That's right. And, 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 and again, it's like, that's. You're you're always going to personalize those institutional attacks, like you know when when the other guy's character, um, 
the guy from that boy band. Um, when <laughs> Harry it, Styles. Yeah, yeah. When he's when he says like they're going to be spitting us in the street, all that kind of stuff. It's like he's taking on the loss as I was a coward. I right. failed. I did these things, and so he's personalizing it. And that's the same thing in that moment. Very briefly, what that REF soldier does is very clear in the performance on the face of the character. You know, he's like, "Fuck!" Like, yeah, where were we? It's like you were you were there. Yeah, that's where you fucking were. And and he, you know, he reaches out and gives him that at that moment because he sees that he needs that. And, like... Well, can I jump in on there and just say, like, this is a, a little bit of a side note, but it really makes me think about, like, mental health. Like, this is like a whole different, like, topic. But that super importance of, like, of... There's the simplicity of uh, like something nice that someone says, the simplicity of someone showing you that you, or showing you that they're there for you or something like that. You know, like the it's amazing how a moment like that could change your entire life. It's it's one of the things that's quite interesting from a historical perspective is how relevant that is because shortly before this, they had um, a different prime minister in Britain um, who had absolutely hardlined the approach of appeasement, which was if you keep just giving Hitler a few of the things that he wants, he'll stop. Mm -hmm. He'll stop. And Churchill was sort of off in the wings being like, he's fucking not going to stop because this guy is like... He's just, looking to take it all. He's not looking to yeah, half-step this. He's, he, he, he wants everything. And... Um, and... Uh, under the previous prime minister, um, the tone of the nation was very strongly, we're not going to war. And the number one reason was, we remember what happened in the last one. Yeah. You know, the Great, the great War was like just one of the most foul events. Well, that was the turning point history. of the way warfare started to change, right? Like that was like, <sighs> that was still trench warfare. That was still throwing men at, at walls and then suddenly... From, from the European to, perspective. Yeah. yeah the right. Americans in the 1860s had already surpassed that. Right. right. Tactically and strategically, but... But from um, a European perspective... From a European perspective, yeah, that was just basically... It was a Napoleonic war fought with machine guns. Mm -hmm. So... Um, and bodies. <laughs> yeah. They were just throwing... Yes. They were just throwing bodies at the meat grinder until something worked and mm -hmm. it never happened. The Germans just ran out of resources. It's not... <laughs> No one won. Yeah. Um, so the that was the terror of the British people, and it was pure psycho psychology. It was just mm -hmm. absolute fear of we're not sending our our boys off mm -hmm. to get back in that meat grinder yeah. because we saw it last. Well, time. I was about to say, yeah, the parents were yeah, there. The parents were there. Yeah. And 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 they know what happened. Mm -hmm. So. When you have that, that what's so interesting is how Churchill managed to actually get the psyche of the nation turning around. Mm -hmm. That's the interesting aspect of that sort of that psychological switch is that um, those moments there are really a microcosm of what England experienced, uh, of what Britain experienced um, as an empire, you know, as a, as, a, mm -hmm. as a collective. They experienced this thing of 
just let Europe sort it out. We're not Europe. We're the British Empire. It's their problem. Yep. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, like this is, this is fascism and fascism needs to be exterminated from the face of the planet. Um, is the, is perspective sort of, you know, 1A and 1B is plus way next. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So, like, of course, they're always, for any kind of, for any nation, they'll always be the selfish motivation. But, um, w- of course, we'll be next. And um, despite the fact that it's, like, resource-wise, not actually really being possible from the German perspective. But um, the... It's, it's interesting how those sort of, like, little moments mirror that, mirror that turnaround. Um, that... And I think he he does that in the film because that's the moment at which that turnaround happened. That that was the decisive uh, moment, um, and that speech that Churchill gave in Parliament was the turning point uh, for people in the war. You know that will fight them in the air and on the beaches mm. and the landing grounds and that kind of stuff. It's like uh, and and saying like America will come. You know, the cavalry will will arrive. Like that, the stuff that he says in that speech. Um, that stuff really plays into it. So I think that he, the thing I love about what Christopher Nolan does is in the film is he takes completely justified pride in the history of uh, where he's from. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the things I really like about the film is that there's this human, really human and beautiful element of nationalism and pride that's in the film um and you can see like he's really proud of what you know probably his parents or grandparents generation uh did and what because they didn't just preserve britain you know they held the germans uh at a point long enough that others could come and claim victory mm-hmm. and this is i mean this this funny enough all came from talking about the father. Yeah. And it kind of wraps up in that. Like, to be honest, the, there is some beautiful moments that happen and some of the best scenes in, are on that boat. And But that is the character arc. It's like they, you know, like the, the father wants to save people and the, we talked about the three different personalities and we wrap it up with seeing what that means and the way they respond to our, um, you know, bombshelled hero uh, and, and the way that he works and the way that like he causes chaos and they still allow, like they still forgive him, I guess is probably the biggest choice of words. And in their own way, that's kind of English pride and how that, you know, like they came back from this horrific defeat and it was not like, boo, it was a forgiveness. It was like, we understand. The the use of the term shell shock Mm. is, is a demonstration of a compassionate person culturally. So before, before the term shell shock. Literally, the term for those people was coward. Yeah, it, right. It, it, that wasn't like it, it was, was a condition. You're it suffering was, uh, from cowardice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they you you can find old footage from like the war and afterwards of like shell shock people who haven't been treated psych uh, psychologically. It's it's mm. it's awful to watch, but I do think it's really important stuff. Like the one that's always stuck in my head is um, there's these uh, British men and they're having a conversation uh with a guy and they're all laughing and all that kind of stuff and uh and then suddenly one of them whips out a german helmet 
Yeah, right. And the guy starts screaming and has right. a breakdown. Oh, God, what a horrible um, thing to see. What a horrible... And they start yeah. laughing. The, oh, really? the other people laugh because they're like, uh, can you believe it? Isn't that... And and this is the thing is that was the... Pers- that is absolutely what they thought. And then this, this changeover between the wars happened where they acknowledged, wow, people can be emotionally damaged by this. They're not cowards. They're... They're somehow they didn't have true, you know, depth of understanding, but they could understand that there was psychological problems. And yeah. um, Band of Brothers has one of my absolute favorite, uh, you know, portrayals of that mm. change in mindset between those two wars, which is, um, you know, one of the soldiers. He's a sergeant, and he has his um, uh, two best friends are blown up in the same like shell explosion and uh he gets like he basically like gets sent off the lines for like months i think he was pushed out for the rest of the war kind of thing but in world war one like you would have been shot yeah um for that if you were physically fine and refused to go back into battle you would you would have been shot yeah yeah. um you're a traitor yeah you either would have been summarily shot or court-martialed so uh, like just the fact that he uses the word shell shocked is, is, is significant. Is, yeah. It's, it's significant and it's, it's not a technical term, you know, it's not, uh, it is a technical term, but I mean, from that character's perspective, it's not a technical term. It's a, he's saying to his son, be understanding, mm-hmm. you know, he's shell shocked means you don't fucking He's not know. himself. And he yeah. even says that. He said, he, sa- he says that. And he may and never be, will be again. Yeah. You see it in one small scene where he's a, he's a different, different person. person. Completely. And and that's the thing I love about the film is just that Christopher Nolan sticks constantly to this human, despite the fact that there's so many characters and you get to only get a few inches deep into them uh, in one way. Mm-hmm. As in you don't spend very much time with each of them. You know, there's no single character in the film that you... Basically, it's not a character-driven uh, film in that you deeply understand and know everything about a character kind mm. of thing, or as much as possible. You don't see a full character transformation as much as you see uh, a moment in a particular character's life and you kind of... Yeah, does, despite the fact that he doesn't structure the film in a way that allows him to go through sort of normal character development. Mm-hmm. This character was not feeling like crazy and exhausted. And then we see him slowly run out of food and then be shot at and his friends die and he becomes exhausted and he becomes like he wants to escape. Blah, blah, yeah. Blah, blah. yeah. So instead of doing that, he just reverses the order and makes us in three seconds understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Without, to me, sacrificing emotional depth. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a brilliantly crafted film to, to me. I'm sure that lots of people could watch the film and go, eh. Well, this leads me on to our last, as far as I, correct me if I'm wrong, our last major story arc, which is, to my, in my opinion, the, the, the story arc that glues all the story arcs together. And that's the soldier trying to run away, trying to get out of the guy from the first shot. Yeah. That's right. And we start with him. And I remember watching it at the cinemas and being like, man, that was a boring scene. And like, cause it was so. There was no franticness in the fact that they were getting shot. It was almost placid. 
And what obviously watching again, and, and as, as I watched it the first time, I remember getting to like halfway through the film and it really clicking with me going, these guys, and it, they show it. They, they're, they're trying to siphon water out of the bottom of a tap. Then he also like siphons a cigarette out of the thing. He's trying to find just little bits of food. They're scavenging through bins just to, to feed. They're exhausted. They're starving. They like, even if, even if they were being shot out, they don't have the strength to sprint as fast as they can with everything they're carrying. You, you, you know? also just do get shot and fall down. I mean, yeah. that that's the 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 thing that is so disturbing about all this stuff is like, all of us in our lives will be terrified at some point, scared, stressed, anxious, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, for most people, particularly terror is going to be an extremely short period of time. It's a surprise or it's a yeah. so you think something's happened. You might have an hour of it max. Mm-hmm. But imagine that being normality. Yeah, yeah. And so you're t- you're taken into this thing where it's like what happen like what happens to you? What do you do? Mm-hmm. How do you act? How do you the b- war is the most bizarre situation that a human being can be put into. Yeah. And it happens for long enough, or at least in the case of, you know, most World War II soldiers, like it happened to them for long enough that things that are just so fucking bizarre become completely normal. Mm. Like he comes around that dune and someone's burying the guy and they don't even... And he's just... They don't even talk. They don't even talk. He doesn't realise he's French until... Yeah. He gets... He's like, just say something. And he's yeah. like, oh, fuck, he's not... Because he's like, you're upset like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're scared like me. Yeah. You can't talk like me. Like, you don't want to talk like yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to anyway. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's that sheer terror aspect. And that's... He's an interesting... He, he, he's a super interesting character. But in a... In a when, like, looking at it from a distance, his character is very... When you look at it without thinking about it, he it seems almost passive and boring. When you think about it, you go, it he's numb and terrified, he's exhausted, and he's desperate. And and you know everything that you need to know about him when they tell him to force the French guy out of the boat. That's yeah. all that's all you need to know about him. Yeah, yeah. That's his that's his arc. That's yeah. like the the peak of his arc is it's that the wrong moment. thing, I can't live with it. And yet, I won't do it. I won't go myself. I yeah. won't sacrifice myself for him. Yeah. But someone's got to do it. It's like, well... Because he's terrified. Yeah. But it's a bit like... And it becomes that thing of like, okay, then let someone else do it for you. But he still doesn't reach that point. Like, yeah. circumstance prevents that moment from happening. Well, the whole... His whole character arc is that. It's His whole character arc is the his passive experience with what's going on. He... He very rarely, I mean, he does, but he very rarely creates opportunity. Opportunity is shown to him and he takes it. He, I, att- he attempts to, though. He attempts. Oh. He craw- down, at the start of the film when he's down crawling around by the, um, uh, when he's under the the dock. No, he, once again, that was that was an opportunity that was given to him. There was the other guy. The oh, French the other guy, guy tells there. him to he's come like, down. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. when he takes it. The only time he ever kind of takes a moment in himself is, uh, which to be honest, even isn't, is that when he may pick up a stretcher with a guy that's still alive. But even that moment is a is given to him and it's a passive. He very rarely like it's, makes a moment happen. He sees a moment and he goes with it. And it's always the direction of, I want to survive. Yeah. Um, and he very, and the, I guess the only moment where he really kind of, 
I want to go home. He, he says that later yeah. in the film. I want to go. Well, home. in that moment, that yeah that is. I guess I, I mean I'm I could be corrected if I went through it again, but I guess that for he, in his character arc is is one of the few moments where it was, it was a real. He had to step he up. Made a decision. Yeah, yeah. He stepped up in front of them and challenged the guys to say, "You can't do this." But throughout the whole film, he was just, "I see this thing happening. I'm going to go along with it. I see this thing happening. I'm going to go along with it. I'm going to go along with the whole thing." And then one moment he did, and then you know, and then he gets pushed to his, like his um his threshold of his personality and what he's going through, and he falters. He yeah. goes, "I'm not willing to sacrifice myself, but I don't. I think this is wrong," you know, and he can't. You know, he can't reconcile it. And then once again, gets shifted back into his passive circumstance where they get shot at. And now he's back where he was at the beginning of the film, where he was just going by the motions, uh, which I think is such a fascinating character arc, which I initially interpreted as like, meh, and then got really like... It's it's you know. it's interesting because the thing, the, again, because you... The thing that's interesting about making a war film is that you get to put people in circumstances where, depending on the characters and the events that you're depicting, you create um, a context for where we can see what, who characters really, really are deep down because it becomes about survival and when people are surviving, that's when who they are. You know, that's like a... I'm just... Uh, uh, grossly oversimplifying things, yeah, yeah. but like you see who they are and and discover what they're like, and then. But the thing about war is that you do that in a context where, as an audience member, you're you're deprived of your ability to really judge because they're in a situation that, as I was saying, is like the most insane thing, like scenario yeah. that you can put a human being into. That's right. So, um, so you you look at that thing and you just sort of you always kind of fall back. He's one of those characters where you sort of fall back and go, what would I do? Mm. That's the, that to me is what he means. Yeah. Okay. It's that. He brings, he makes, he makes the audience like, like the person who runs away from the killer in a, in a horror film, the one that actually doesn't run up the stairs, but runs out the back door, yeah. still dies, but runs out the back door as an audience member. You're like, yeah, I mean, he died, but that is what I would do. Not run upstairs like a stupid idiot. And and he does. Um, he's the one that opens the door, isn't he? On the side of the sinking. The French guy is. Oh, the French guy. The French is. guy has a moment where he realizes that he's that they're under there, and he sa- that's why he says, you, you, "That's right, you saved that's our right, lives." Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blah blah blah. You know, that's that whole moment. That's right. Yeah, because yeah. it proves that he's not a German. Because they once again they never interacted vocally. It proves that he's not a German when he says. That's right. Lives. He jumps off. He stays on, and um. Opens the door. Yeah. The yeah, he goes to he goes to jump off the boat and then he realizes the door's still locked. Yeah. And then he climbs his way despite the fact that the boat's sinking, opens the door, jumps off the boat, uh, at least giving them a chance to to be saved, which is what saves our, our character. That's right. That's right. He looks up and he sees it. Because mm-hmm. earlier on they say, What's with your friend? And he says he's looking for a for a way out. Yeah. yeah. Or an exit or whatever. That's right, yeah. End of that sentence is in case something goes wrong. Not even I don't even think the, the idea was that in case something goes wrong because no, something it, will. <laughs> no, oh, no, like the yeah. intention is what like his. Like, That's what, but he says that because he's like he's looking for a way out in case we start sinking. Mm. Um, and it's great because again, One Direction guy or whatever. <laughs> Harry Styles. Yeah, I don't know why I remember that so well. <laughs> You're in love with Harry Styles. Mm. Who is um, it? yeah, he he's the one that uh, he says that to, and he 
Harry Styles' look is like he's scared again because yeah. he just felt so safe on this boat now. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's having his teas and he's like jam on toast. Yeah, but it's it's short lived. Yeah, I, I, it's good. It, it's a it's a really 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 good film, and I love it not because it um, shows warfare itself mm-hmm. in a way that I think is amazing and accurate and all this kind of stuff, but just purely because of the humanity uh, of it. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, Saving Private Ryan does the same thing using very different methods. Yes. Um, but it was interesting. I commented on Facebook recently on someone's post about Saving Private Ryan. These few people like saying how much of a piece of shit that film is, um, <laughs> which is quite a quite a um, common Really? Like, yeah, a lot of people really don't like it. Um, I mean, I can see people not liking it because it's too... It, it's a bit graphic and it's like... No, no. It makes you feel like... No, uh, it's contrived and it's like... No, they say it like the opening part is like great and then from then on it's like stupid. And where were the British and the Canadians and the this and that? It's like... Yeah, but that wasn't It's not story. the film. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> You're watching the wrong film. The, yeah. the film is about what does a teacher do? Hmm. When given an opportunity to go home. And the only, I guess, the like historically inaccurate parts start from after the beach, right? There's tons of historically inaccurate shit on the beach. Well, no, but my point is, is that that's when it's like, well... It just th- doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Because like, it's not, we're not trying to show you what it was like to be on Omaha Beach or in the war. We're just kind of... We, we this want is you to story. feel what it was like. Yeah, that's right. Not exactly yeah. sure. And that, and that's the thing. It's like, it's all, it's all an emulation. It's all like, what does this feel like? And mm. that's why there's so much like shit about like people shitting on that film. Like in my opinion, have watched it nowhere near enough or when they watched it, dismissed it and failed to truly watch it. Well, they saw it superficially. Um, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, And critiqued it for things that, it wasn't attempting to do at all. Mm. Um, and what that film does do, uh, it does brilliantly. You know, the, mm-hmm. the are there sort of like cheesy bits and all that kind of stuff? The only part of that film that I feel is like a bit eh is when he's firing the pistol. Oh, it's literally the plane happens that. to drop the thing at the same yeah. time. It's like, to me, that is the only moment where I go, eh. Oh, but I like it because it's so, it's so delusional. Like it's so I, not. A I like treat. it because it, they're so close. Yeah, yeah. To yeah. living. Yeah, that's right. And they, you know, and only two of them are left. Are they? Oh, we got to do that movie next. Not maybe not next, but like. Soon. No, I, I If we're segueing to the end, um, we, we, have, we haven't talked about sound though or music. No, no, no. It's fine. We don't need to. There are really important elements, but that's that's a, we're talking technically, but we don't need to talk yeah. about them. Like that's the stereotype. That's what people have heard about it. It's Hans Zimmer's yeah, like, use true. of the thing, yeah. and it's fucking um, all I mean, sound itself. And then we did talk about dialogue and all that shit. And music is amazing. The My favorite part, aside from just the brilliance of the music, I do like how um, how they work that ticking mm. into the film. I didn't even notice the ticking, to be good. honest. I, didn't, I couldn't even tell you if there was. And my, and my favorite thing is when he makes a decision to turn his plane around, mm. when he's like got the the bomber in the rear view, the 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 clock is going tick, 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 tick. and then as he turns the plane around it goes tick, 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 uh, and the other thing I really liked is that's well, his which, clock that's his mental clock what I it's what I mentioned great. before that it seemed like Hans Zimmer used the ambience as music yeah the rattling of the plane was almost was in time with like a beat of the song and I was like that's kind of cool yeah Um, I don't know how intentional that was but still like it was really uh, 
I would doubt that there's anything unintentional in that film. Yeah. It's one of those movies. It's one of those movies where, again, everything is so boiled down that there's not enough happening at any point mm. in terms of Christopher Nolan's constructed a film where he can absolutely control everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that's how that film feels. Whereas, like, if you're making Dark Knight, I've, I intentionally never look into these things because I really love that film and I don't want to analyze it. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, I'm sure there's tons of plot holes and stupid shit yeah, and stuff course. like that. But, like, I don't care. It's a ride I really enjoy and I don't want to think about it. But, um, you know, because that's... He's constructing this really intricate thing and it's going around mm. it's doing these things like Inception yeah. although Inception I think is I, I used to think that it was contrived and had a lot of bullshit in it and then um, a teacher of mine at film school um, suggested thinking about parts of it from this a different perspective and I was like Ah, oh, fuck you, dude. Just turned yeah. this, like a really flawed film into one of the best films. And ever. the irony of like, uh, you have a film that's like littered with exposition to like the complete contrast of someone with barely any exposition yes. only. Like, yeah. You know, 20 lines All of dialogue. drama. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And still, yeah, amazing. I mean, it's just, it's, it's him, flex- Nolan flexing his freaking muscle. I mean, because he, or his brother and him wrote Inception. Yeah. And he wrote this film. So like, you know, like you can see his range, right? What a showreel. Um, but yeah, anyway, we are, we should wrap this up because I mean, the most important elements that we talked about is what we talked about. Oh, for sure. And- I, uh, in terms of next thing though, I think you'll be quite happy to hear what I have to suggest. Ooh. So I watched. Next up on Not Chili Podcast <laughs> is. Yeah, I watched, um, I don't know if you've watched it. It's so good. There's this, uh, guy who has a web, uh, YouTube series called Lessons from the Screenplay. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. And he did this episode on, um. Uh, American Beauty. Oh, yeah. And the thing that was interesting about it is he focuses almost exclusively... Uh, he has two... Sorry, he has two episodes, by the way, on American Beauty, which is mm. not often for him. So um, I haven't watched the first one yet. I watched the second one just because the name of it stuck out to me. And what it was, uh, it's about how they cut... I never knew this. There was an extra 25 pages in the script mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they shot it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know is they shot it. support room? No, no, it was ton- way more than that. Yeah, it's like, right. it's that and a bunch of other shit. Um, and yeah, basically that whole, like, the whole... Who did it? Who killed the It's a whodunit film. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, when I found that out, I was like, that's so interesting. I think that we should watch the film together and then watch his two episodes on it and then have a think about it. Or just watch that material cutout episode. Because mm-hmm. um, I think probably the first episode would infect us with his... Um, opinions or oh yeah, yeah. On it but I've seen the movie too many times for me to um, be infected by that kind of stuff. I th- I think I would probably yeah. So uh, but so I'm not gonna watch that. I'm not gonna watch that first video until after we watch it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll watch it. But that second one, just focusing on on the idea of you've shot the film, you don't know what film you've really made, and now you're gonna cut stuff out to make the film that you didn't set out to make. It was when my, my opinion on, um, I mentioned American Beauty and that particular point with the film Prisoners that we did a podcast about. And the, my main point in, in Prisoners was that if you were to describe that film, it reads as like taken with like some elements like that. But that's not why you watch Prisoners. Yeah. It's a fucking amazing character film. 
And the same thing goes with American Beauty. If you describe that film, it's like, oh, some coming of age film where a guy's like, you know, like shakes up his life. But it, the reality is from the very get go is that he's going to be dead in it, you know, like, and you're like, oh, that's, that sounds interesting. But it sounds like, you know, a Ben Stiller film that where he's trying to, you know, do something dramatic. I would love to see the Ben Stiller version of American Beauty. Yeah, right. Well, then watch uh, freaking that movie was like, ah. Uh, is it something mid, mid? There was a something movie about Mary. No, 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 no. It's not a comedy. It's like a movie where he. Oh, like, Walter Schmidt or whatever. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, point being is that, is that, American Beauty, on paper sounds like a really kind of average film, but it turned into a masterpiece. You put the right actors. You put the right director. You put the right cinematographer in the same space. Editor and editor, of course, editor. You that's know. That's the. That's the. So anyway, that was my. Yeah. That was my suggestion because that. That, um, that added a, I, I get, like I said, I watched it again recently and I, and I actually liked it for the first time. And, mm-hmm. um, then watching that video, um, it just made me, just made me really want to watch it again. Mm-hmm. And then I was sort of like, uh, it, it'll be a bit of a waste if, if I don't watch it with you. Yeah, do it. Absolutely. I have so many feels about American Beauty. Yeah, I have to buy a copy. I've got it. I've got two copies. Do you have it on Blu-ray? No. I might get on Blu-ray. I, I do it. Do it. No, no, no. Do it. The cinematography is really good. Stunning. Um, yeah. So, no, that sounds like a good next time. Next time on the Not Chilly Podcast. Um, uh, hopefully, it will be if it doesn't get pushed back to another <laughs> another date, depending on how I edit. Um, but, yeah, let's wrap that up. Like, obviously, we like Dunkirk. I recommend if you... Oh, no. Having said all that, It was terrible. terrible. Yeah. Worst film I've ever seen. <laughs> Only good because the, the the technical ideas of 4K. I think that's probably the only reason why you should watch oh, it. It looked good. Yeah, it did. It was freaking amazing. And you know, this is obviously a spoiler-rich podcast, and so people... good to say that at the end. Well, no, we said it throughout, but that's the whole point of it. So people have seen it and people have enjoyed it. And maybe you know, I hope that when people listen to this, they go, like, if they were like eh, Dunkirk, it was a bit. They look at it and go, oh, I got a new, like, hopefully, have a new perspective on it. You know, and a new perspective on HDR 4K. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Just like, make sure that you... Online, there are lists where you can read what the pipeline has been for each film to get to that, to that Blu-ray. I love that you know this. It's important. I don't want to watch some fucking 1080p upscaled shit. Like, yeah, if I you're going to watch it, you want to watch it, right? Yeah, I agree. So, I yeah, that's, the, that's why I've only bought three... Two of them are Nolans. <laughs> Because he's and and Planet Earth, because BBC like went all out on that, and it does just, my God. We should do one on that. Amazing, That'd be amazing, just absolutely amazing. But anyway, we yeah. should be done. Uh, yeah. yeah, thanks very much, and bye.